You're listening to AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today, a podcast dedicated to sharing the knowledge and language of artificial intelligence in the Department of Defense. Join us as we discuss the passion projects of some of today's brightest minds and how artificial intelligence is being cultivated, procured, and delivered throughout the U.S. government. Be prepared to learn how artificial intelligence has become a part of the everyday life and is working to support and further government missions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of AI Proficiency, Turning Tomorrow into Today. I'm Nicole Mandes, the executive producer to this podcast. Again, today we have Bonnie Evangelista from the CDAO helping us talk to and gather expertise from our guest, Stephanie Wilson, the contracting and agreements officer for the U.S. Army. Um, Bonnie, if you want to start us off, it's all you. Awesome. I'm very excited about our guest today, Miss Stephanie Wilson. She is a kindred spirit of mine, and we've known each other for almost five years now. We've been working in the trenches, so to say, together. So Stephanie, just let's let's orient the audience to who you are, because I don't think I'm as I will be as convincing if I try and convince everyone why you're amazing at what you do as a professional, as a person. So tell us a little bit about who Stephanie is and give us a little bit of light on, you know, your career and how you've come to be the expert that I know you to be in in our world of contracting. Got it. Well, hello, everyone. So my name is Stephanie Wilson. And yes, Bonnie and I have worked together quite well for the last five years. And we've been doing some pretty exciting stuff. But It wasn't always this exciting because everybody's got to start somewhere, right? So I've been doing this now close to 17 years and my time has been totally spent with the Army. So when I started, it, it was very similar to what a lot of folks in contracting start with. They start with the basics. And what are the basics? It's going to be FAR based. And as I was going through my career, learning the different ways that I could utilize the FAR, I started seeing that there were some quote unquote gray areas in the FAR and how scared people were you were of using those uh, those gray areas in the FAR. And I kind of became scared of them because that's what I was taught. Don't you know, don't just stick to the basics, you know, don't don't veer too much outside of the of the path. And so about just about mid careerist time, I was thinking, is this really kind of what I want to do? Is this you know, is this, what, is this where, where I see myself kind of going for the next, you know, 20 years uh, before I retire? And then all of a sudden, there was this new mission that came to my command, ACC Rock Island. It was this new mission that came to our command, and it was working with defensive cyber operations. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds different. It sounds interesting. I want to try something different. So I went over to that particular mission set, and from that, I, I got a whole gambit of non-FAR actions that we could utilize. And it was literally, it was, like, it was like the door burst open. And I was able to see outside of that little box that I had been confined in during the entirety of my career. For me, having that you know, door just being shoved right open, it, it was amazing. But it was also super scary. Because again, 
a lot of people I think can can feel the same way about this is that when we start off in our in our careers, especially within contracting, we we kind of get beat over the head with the FAR from day one and on. So one of the things is, is stepping through that threshold and stepping into that new kind of non-FAR based world, it's a little bit scary. And how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the fear of doing something that is back there in the box? How do you deal with something that is unstructured? How do you work within that and still say that you're doing exactly what you took your oath for, that you are still supporting the taxpayer's dollars, you're making sure that what you do is not egregious, basically that you're doing the right thing for the government. And that's really been, I would say, my biggest journey from what I've been doing in my contracting field has really been over the last five to six years. Yeah, and for our non-federal contracting oriented audience, what is the FAR, Stephanie? So the FAR is this exceptionally heavy, heavy book. Now, of course, it's all online, but the original FAR is still actually a book. And it is thousands of rice paper pages. And it tells you what you are allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. And again, it's not going to be something that is going to cover every single contracting officer, contract specialist, way of doing programs or contracts, agreements, whatever, but it kind of gives you that guideline. And it just kind of policies all over itself. It just, it says, do it this way. Oh, but here, go back over here onto the other part of the FAR. And now look at the DFARs. And it's this book of rules and regulations that tells us in the federal workspace what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. And because that book is so big, it can be very scary to step out either in the gray space within the FAR or step outside of the FAR in totality. Yeah, you you touched on a really, I think, critical challenge that our workforce has today. And you said where you were trained to follow the rules and you were trained to follow the checklist. And you were, I'm, I'm putting, I'm paraphrasing, you know, and, and extrapolating from my experience as well. You were trained to follow a process. How did you start to unlock that, I'm gonna call it programming, you know, that we just all get, right, to be certified contracting professionals. What was it, what do you, is it, was there a, a key moment or, or what was it that started to unlock that part of your, your brain in your day-to-day -day where you didn't, you weren't as afraid to step outside of the FAR Federal Acquisition box? So good question. And it, this has been how I am my entire life, but I, I'm one of those slow burn people. You know, I don't have that epiphany in some euphoric moment where I'm like, aha, this is what I need to do. And, and really the slow burn was just me kind of watching others in this new field and, or at least new to me. And it was watching others and having others question, well, why couldn't we do this? And then it started my own brain thinking. And I thought, well, wait a second, why can't we do that? And on top of that, why can't we do X, Y, Z? And so it was really just a comfort level within myself of saying, you know, listen, they didn't give me this warrant to be able to sign things outside of the FAR. And they didn't trust me with being able to do this mission if they didn't think that I could do it. 
So who's really stopping me? It was myself. It was myself from saying, let's just try it. What's the worst that could happen? We fail. Okay. Well, so what do we learn from that failure? So really for me, that first year was completely pivotal in what I was learning about how do I step outside of that comfort zone, you know, and, and really embrace the unstructured? How do I get rid of, and I like your word, that programming of you have to do it this way. And as long as I was justified in what I was doing and that I could show that justification to anybody that asked, leadership, uh, the, the requirements office, anybody, if anybody wanted to see what I was doing, as long as I could say, this was my thought process on how I got from point of, of announcement to award, I was comfortable with it. And what I realized also during that first year of doing OTAs was it wasn't really necessarily me that was uncomfortable with it. It was the rest of what my army culture was because my army culture is very much so embedded in the rules, the regulations, you know, check mark off the checklist and that's what you do for your job. So a lot of it has been accepting the fact that although I'm comfortable with doing things, I have to help initiate that culture change within the people that I'm working with so that what I'm doing doesn't seem so strange and foreign. Right. And might be a good segue into my absolute favorite term that you coined. And and I'd like you to talk about, you know what I'm talking about, um, because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of our peers, not just an army, but across services, you know, when you hear OTA, other transaction authority, um, when you hear about non-FAR-based contracting mechanisms and things like that, we tend to default to what we know and are familiar with. Um, And I think I've kind of adopted this phrase as my mantra. So I want you to not just reveal what it is to the audience, but like talk a little bit about like, what does it mean to you? So, so the phrase is don't far on my OTA and the, it just, it just came out of us. I think really just you, me and, and a couple other folks, Jason Hawkins, Katie Crompton, we were all just sitting around talking about this and we were talking about how we have a tendency to just throw policy at something that we don't understand instead of understanding it. We try and take that round peg and pound it into the square hole. And to me, I wouldn't have had to go through all of this work of having to have two separate warrants to be able to sign something that's completely different than the FAR to turn around and make it look like the FAR. It just, to me, was not a a logical thing. So I started saying, don't FAR on my OTA. It, it It was part of that, again, back to what I said about helping to change the culture within the Army is, you know, don't FAR on my OTA, man. I, I'm I'm doing this a different way. And just because it's weird and just because it's unstructured and just because you're unfamiliar with it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's just different. So the whole purpose of Don't Far on My OTA is to remind folks, whether you're in the federal workspace or not, maybe you're in industry, um, maybe you, you're, you know, somehow a peripheral to the federal workspace, and maybe you don't do what I do, but you see what potentially may come out in like announcements and calls to industry. You should not be able to see something that comes out underneath an OTA and think to yourself, wait, wait a second, are they trying to prototype something 
or is this a FAR-based action? Because if you have to ask yourself that question, then we as the government have done a very poor job of defining what it is that we're trying to do. And if we're going to try and take something as flexible as an OTA that is meant to get something faster, better, cheaper, you're meant to prototype, you are meant to get that tech, whatever it is, bleeding edge, COTS, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is that you want, trying to get it into the hands of the warfighter or your operators or whoever it is in a better way, if you have to question, this kind of looks like a FAR-based action to me, then again, we've done a really bad job of, of you know, helping ourselves out. We just should not be using FAR language, FAR terms, um, uh, FAR ways of, of trying to find our awardees, aka source selection. We should not be using those. Each one of our prototypes, each time we try and OTA something, it should be specific, it should be deliberate, and it should be exactly what it is that is needed for that particular customer. Trying to box in the way that we do with FAR actions, where, hey, you know, this is how we do it, especially FAR Part 15. This is how you do it. This is, this is how you open and close discussions. And this is what your RFP has to look like. And these are evaluation criteria that you have to use. And this is the definitions for those that you have to use. You should be able to swipe that all away with OTAs. And so really the genesis of don't far on my OTA is just that. It is, it, is a, it, it is the motto for us now, but it is exactly what it says. Do not far on my OTA. Do not come at me with far language, far terminologies, because it has no place on the OTA. They're at, at just the very, very basic minimum. They're completely different regulation. They're, they're completely different parts in the NDAA. So let's yeah. use that. Yeah, it's completely counterintuitive and a little deflating on my part that we would even attempt to recreate the FAR wheel under an authority that purposefully excludes it to mm -hmm. provide the flexibility and the, the agility that you and I know and have seen that those mechanisms can provide. I love it. It's Like I said, it's my mantra. You know that. Let's try and come a little bit full circle to the purpose of this podcast. So like, how have you used, whether it's OT or other non-FAR based mechanisms, like what are, do you have some favorite stories where like having that flexibility, like you saw some really novel things happening, whether it's from like a mission perspective or um, even just like a contracting workflow perspective or something like that, like how do we bridge I know, I know you, you believe in this as much as I do, like how, how do we use these mechanisms to leap into like beyond 21st century technology and stuff into the military domain? So I think one of the most novel ways that we've been able to use the prototype is almost on ourselves. So, so I'm just going to talk OTAs for right now, and we, we can kind of delve into like, you know, experimental OTAs, um, you know, we can delve into PIAs and things like that. But just overall, just kind of the idea of an OTA and just that ability to use it is kind of what I've seen us doing with it. So for example, we, we start with something. And because of the fact that it is unstructured, you know, we can define it however we want, what, what is the best. But I almost see us prototyping within the prototype. We're always trying to find ways to make it better, faster, cheaper. And by doing so, 
you know, we, we found a couple of ways that didn't really work for us and, and we, we gave them a good shot and then we chucked them out. And I think the beauty of this is you can, you can do that. You can be able to say, okay, listen, we did it this way. There were two things that I liked about that. So I want to pull those two things. And now I want to try something different with those two things embedded in it. And so just, I think for us, just looking at the contracting space, the ability for us to literally prototype ourselves and our processes is, is completely novel. You don't have that flexibility on something that is going to be FAR-based because again, you have those rigid definition, definitions and you have that rigid structure. So I think for us, just within the contracting community, the ability to literally prototype ourselves, to prototype our processes, to see what is going to work and what isn't, is amazing and something that we should continue to do each and every time that we're working with our customers. What is going to work better this time around? Just because it worked the time before, maybe we don't do it the same way again. We maybe take a piece of it and then try something different. What's a common OT snomer that, that you see? Oh, I can think of a yeah, couple, this, but yeah. And I'm not talking so the, about I'm not talking about, you know, either DAU, Defense Acquisition University, or like mm-hmm. the department version of what a misnomer is. Um, I'm talking about like a real application, you know, what people think OTs are versus like what maybe sometimes we might try to bring to the table is like, did you know you could do this with an OT kind of thing? So I think the two myths that, that really come to, to my mind, they're almost, they're, they're really intertwined. The, the first one is the lack of understanding of basically what it is, which leads to the second one, which is the OTAs or the easy button. And I think a lot of folks in the contracting work workspace, um, just the federal workspace, and anyone who is peripheral to that, there's just a lack and, and of general understanding of what those OTAs are. So people hear, oh, it's not a FAR action. So therefore, it's the easy button because I don't have to do all these things that the FAR asks me to do. So with the OTAs, it's not that it's the complete wild, wild west. There are certain tenants that we have to follow either either by the NDAA or, or really the comfort level of what your AO has for doing, you know, what, what's the appetite that that AO has to do what you're looking to do. And I, and I think a lot of times with the easy button, people think, oh, I can just put something on agreement and then I can just run wild with it. And that's not what it is. And it's, it's really, I, I always say that the OTAs are the thinking man's game because you really have to be omnipresent in the OTAs. You have to think about where you're starting, where you're going to end up and everything that happens in the middle. So if you do pivot during one of your phases of your prototype, what does that mean in the near future? What does that mean for your, for your subsequent phases? What does that mean for your end state? Have you changed what you're aiming and looking to do? So I think a lot of folks think that OTAs are, you know, the quote unquote easy button and they can just put out a requirement, um, you know, get that agreement and then boom, they just kind of walk away from it and it just kind of does its thing on its own. And that's not what it is. There's, there's heavy, heavy involvement between the customer, between the AO, um, anybody that is working that, it is truly something where you have to have that really big, big transparent relationship 
because you're in it for the long haul. Yeah, I think you're describing like, uh, you. I know you've heard me talk about like, what is the business case for every decision? Like it doesn't, I don't think it matters as much the fact that you're pivoting, it's why you're pivoting or mm-hmm. changing course. And, you know, what is the business case to do that? Is there a logical basis, whether that's from a, a fiscal perspective or a schedule or performance perspective, like what, what is going on? And I, I don't know, I don't know about you. I have like, I don't think I have a lot of confidence that people understand what what we're asking of them what do you what do you think of that like is there do we have a culture within the federal workforce that like understands um business like from a business perspective what the impacts are to the decisions we make no i don't think we do i think and and i don't care what branch you're talking about just talking about the federal workspace um dod at large we're very siloed We're, we're we're not thinking across the board we're, we're, we're not even thinking, even, even with our own, our, our own branches, we're not thinking about what the command next door is doing. You know, we're not, we're not thinking omnipresent. We're not thinking about how we can do this in a better way that is in, within a more unified space. And again, it's a lot of thought that goes into these OTAs. There's a lot that you have to think about. And doing that business case analysis is something that a lot of folks don't think about. They just think, okay, well, I got this operational gap. Now, how do I fix it? And they kind of think linear, in kind of a linear way of, okay, I have an agreement. I'll get my MVP and then I'll go off and do XYZ with my MVP. And they, they don't really think about, okay, could I scale it? Um, could it be modular? Could, could it be something that Again, the command next door, who is Army, could they use it as well too? Do they have a use case that they could possibly use and input into this prototype to make it even better? So that's all part of that business decision making that has to go in to the folks who want to come to us and say, hey, listen, I, I, I got this operational gap. And what does that look like? And doing that business case analysis is is difficult, but we don't do it well in the federal workspace. Yeah, one of the, I don't know, I guess the one of my messages, you know, that whenever we talk, and whether it's at the tactical level or we're dealing with customers and filling operational gaps and stuff like that, or even at the organizational level, is like there's not enough environment, I think, just in general, not just with contracting, that like is about problem solving in, in our field and like you said it's this is cross-cutting so this is across the services like we I don't think we are fostering environments that are focused on problem solving we're just focused on satisfying requirements whether the requirements actually solve a problem or not and I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the culture when we talk about the culture challenge you know whether it's from an acquisition perspective or a technology perspective it's we're we're still focused on tasks, um, labor, and and requirements that may or may not actually solve a mission problem. Mm-hmm. Have you have you do you think OT or non far based contracting is a is a good strategy to trying to correct some of what I'm talking about or even just like start to influence some of what I'm talking about? 
I, I do, but I think it's even going to go back to just changing the workforce's culture. Um, it's, it's, it's all going to go back to people accepting that there is something out there different from the FAR. And again, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that the FAR is not useful. The FAR has its place, right? But with OTAs and non-FAR based actions, they have their place too. And I don't think that they found their place in our, in our federal culture. And so for people to start accepting those, that's really going to be the first stepping off point. Would you say, I'm going to bring it back to you, bring it back down a little bit. So when you were starting to embrace a little bit of what we're talking about, did you have support from your leadership? So yes and no. So again, this goes back to the culture of what it is. We, we knew that there was this, again, new to us, OTAs had been around forever. I mean, that's how we got to the moon. So, but yes and no in the sense that we, we had this to us, a new shiny object, and let's go explore that. Let's see what that is. And then when it comes time to explaining it and making people understand, that's where the no came in. So yes, my, my leadership was all on board for us to do something kind of wild and crazy. But it also then exploded. Um, it, it, it turned into something that was really, truly useful. And we started finding more and more people who wanted to use it and wanted to learn about it. And now all of a sudden, you're back to, I think, one of the original problems that can span across everybody. I, I don't care if you're in the federal workspace or you're not, is a staffing problem, is resourcing. You know, do we have enough people to be able to start supporting that? And so when you have to start changing the culture of wherever it is, and when I was talking with my leadership about this, yeah, it's going to be a little bit work up front. But if we start realigning people and start realigning workloads to show, hey, listen, if we can do stuff through the OTAs, non-FAR action things, non-FAR actions that we have available to us, there is a potential that we can start lessening the workload that we have on our workforce. And so that idea is is kind of novel. And so really the answer to that question is yes and no. My 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 leadership was on board, but then there was also some issues because of staffing. I think you and I have been somewhat fortunate is we had people that are, we were surrounded by people um that that maybe thought bigger than either of us could have imagined. And that started to, for at least for me personally, stretch my creativity and what I thought the art of the possible could be. And I don't know how to scale that unless you have like an entire workforce doing that. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, we've been running into that. I mean, and again, we jokingly call ourselves the pocket of weirdos, right? Because we're doing kind of some weird stuff. And yeah. how do you get people on board with being a weirdo? Is is it is it feasible to ask somebody to be like, hey, you want to try out this kind of weird stuff over here? It's really kind of super cool. And I think that that is something that, you know, again, going back to my leadership, once I showed them, you know, what I could do and and how we could do it in a responsible way, but yet rapid, they were all on board with it. But again, it goes back to that. Do we have enough people to support this as as it explodes? Yeah, I I don't know. I guess 
for me, I think it just started with asking questions. That's just, that's simply how it started. And then like the whole practical application part kind of came later. To me, it it doesn't, I don't think there's any magic right behind Mm -hmm. how this could work. People have to be willing to do it. So do you have any, I'm going to go back to favorite stories. Like I kind of want to demonstrate uh, you know, what we're talking about. So we've talked a lot, thought-provoking types of things for people to talk about, but like in, I think it all, it always comes down to practical application and mm-hmm. um, can you prove you know, it? For, yeah. Can you, like, is it, are you, are you, can you walk the walk kind of thing? Do you have any favorite stories where like maybe we, we, you or whether I was involved or not, you know, we, we kind of, had an idea percolate and then you know we didn't know if it was possible and that could be a technology solution or process based like you were talking about earlier like is there anything that sticks out in your mind that we can like unpack a little bit so i i would say just trade wind as a whole so what you and i are working on right now because it the the whole idea has been percolating <laughs> for years to be able to try and pilot something like Tradewind in its entirety. And Tradewind itself is an ecosystem, right? It's supposed to be able to hold under its umbrella everything associated and needed for whatever customer it is for you guys at CDAO. So I would say Tradewind, if, if we could unpack that a little bit. I mean, I just think the whole process, the whole idea because it's 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 novel within its different onion layers. So what about Tradewind do you think is introducing like some level of novelty or creativity that didn't exist before? So I would have to say, um, well, one way, which is the most current, is what we're doing with Solutions Marketplace. Um, that is, to me, a, a very novel idea. We We built a competitive playground for folks to be able to come in and be able to produce and submit short snippet videos, pilot videos, it's three to five minutes, and put it into that competitive playground, bumping it up against you know certain areas that we're looking at, and be able to let the DoD come in and purchase that. Say, yeah, you know what, I I, I really like what you vendor A are offering. I want to talk to you some more about that, and I want to get you on on an agreement. And the fact that it's almost ditching down selects, I think is beyond novel. It's, it's, you know, down selects have been a tried and true source selection tool for the federal government. So again, it's, it's, it's not that we're being, we're not being competitive, but we're not doing it in that kind of standard, here's a phase, down select, here's a phase, down select. We're not doing that. We've, we've built our own competitive playground for people to come in and submit their videos and for the DOD to come in and purchase it from. Right. So I think that's highly right. novel. And I, I did not, I think that's so funny. I, I did not prep you for that question whatsoever. Like that I'm not putting a plug in for trade one solutions marketplace, but I think it's interesting that your mind went there. I don't disagree with you. It's, uh, it's the first, I think our first attempt at taking the experiment to a wider audience you know, like we, like you said, mm-hmm. we've been experimenting our organization and our teams and stuff like that and trying different things. But like, this is the first time we're trying to take that to 
external customers, like outside of ourselves and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, we'll, we'll see what happens. So I, I feel you on that one. Do you know, do you know what my favorite one is? I don't know. No, what what is your favorite? If I had to guess, it might be Labyrinth. Uh, no, it's, do you remember the non-monetary agreement we did? It was when, when we were, I was still at DCO, Defense and Cyber, but do you, so there was a, uh, we were buying radio communications equipment and the particular customer who came to us was not um, Army mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and they, there was a little bit of a, a monopoly or a manufacturer's monopoly on the radio equipment because um, whoever was procuring the handheld radio dictated what type of communications equipment had to talk to the radio. Um, and the person buying the handheld was a civilian agency. And it was, so there's weird, not weird, but there were interesting layers to that. And so we, we convinced this team who would cross serendipitously, I would say cross paths with us, tried the prototype thing, like, Hey, do it, try it our way. And let's see what happens. <clears throat> a couple known, I would say, manufacturers in the radio field definitely came to the table. And then there was one that was not on anybody's radar. And this was a company working with state and local. And they said, we have a solution that is radio agnostic and we can solve all your radio communication problems and stuff like that in terms of like the, whatever the, I don't know what it's called, the central hub or something that pushes, you know, the comms and stuff like that. And at first, you know, the, the assessment team was doing the typical government thing that we've been talking about. They were a little, they were not willing to take the leap of faith with the unknown manufacturer or solution provider. And they were very, much more comfortable investing in the known manufacturers that have been doing business with the government, you know, for forever. Um, and, and actually, I would say the team was split. There was a couple that didn't want to take the risk, and there were a couple that absolutely wanted to take the risk. So we told that one vendor that didn't make the cut, you know, right in our down select, uh, we were like, hey, thanks, you know, but not, not a not for us right now kind of thing, the vendor actually came back to us and said, we, they, they, they believe so much in their technology or their solution. They said, we will give you this, a, a working prototype for free. We just want a seat at the table. And that, that like blew my mind that they would even be willing to do that. It, and it spiraled us into us coming up with a totally unconventional agreement where it was a non-monetary agreement um, and the consideration at the table was the technical information uh, that the the government team would be providing the vendor in order to develop their prototype and stuff like that. And I kind of lost the bubble, but like the last, when I was still with Defensive Cyber, like they were on trend to potentially breaking up the monopoly and providing an even better solution than what they already had and stuff like that. That's like my absolute favorite. I just love that story. Because it just demonstrates a lot of things where, like, we weren't looking for them, and they found us, and 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 it was only through their their will that you know it, the government the government wanted to say no, and then they said they said it made us a better offer, you know, and and we found a way to make that work through OT because you can't I don't I don't think that's possible, right? 
we, right. we wouldn't have been able to do that in our world. So that, that just demonstrates the flexibility where you can come up with more commercial like agreements so that new players can come to the table. I just, that's still my favorite story. I, I, I remember that one. And it, it kind of goes along with what mine is as well too, which is camo. And that is, you know, something that we were attempting to do. It's still ongoing. It's still a prototype. And it's, it's meant to be like, okay, how can we incorporate the ability to utilize commercial processes, commercial procedures in buying cloud infrastructure? You know, because we, we have, you know, certain rules that we have to follow. You know, there's certain fiscal law rules that we have to follow. Um, there's certain ways that we have traditionally bought cloud support. So how do we go about looking at it in a different way? And that was the prototype for Camo was to be able to prototype different business processes that incorporate a consumption-based model for cloud infrastructure, but still being able to follow what is required of us through Reagan statute on the federal side. And, you know, Camo yeah. is still an, an ongoing prototype right now, but it, it was it was an amazingly novel idea to try because even if we failed, even if we fail at this, we're still going to learn something and we're still going right. to learn what it is that we could and could not do. And then the stuff that we could do, there's no reason why we can't prototype on top of that and say, okay, now we know what we can't, but let's see what we can do with what the stuff is that we can do. And so, yeah, Cam Camel will probably stay in my history books for a while. I think my favorite, like, in general, not specific to a project. Like, I love it when we get those projects where we're questioning the process or a structure, right? Or, you know, something where like there's a like a status quo work stream or something like that. And somebody says there's got to be a different way, right? And maybe we don't right. know the answer to that. You might pilot something to see what what else could be possible right well and i think having that kind of questioning mind and that questioning mindset is is what you really need to have to be in kind of the non-far based world because doing things the status quo you know oh we've done it this way for 20 years that doesn't mean that that is something that we should continue to do what if we could do it differently? And what if we could do it better? What if we could do it in a way that makes all of our lives easier, um, especially in the contracting community? So I think having that questioning mindset is something that you really truly need to be able to start to enact culture change, to start you know, kind of bumping up against that, that status quo terminology that we get thrown at us a lot, because why do we have to? And, and, and questioning it in a way that makes our world better not just questioning it just because but you're questioning it to try and make the world that you live in a little bit better yeah is there do you think there's a place for what we're trying to do in our world what you do in your your world is it truly scalable do you think we'll get there yeah i i mean honestly i i want to believe that because what we have in the non-far based world is is so usable it's 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 so tangible it is something that that anybody can utilize if they're willing to again step through that threshold into the unstructured and the unfamiliar and i i think as long as we continue 
pounding the pavement and going door to door and being like, hey, listen, we got something good going on here and enacting that culture change and grabbing as many people as we can along the way. I, I really want to believe that, yes, we can get there because I really think we're on a cusp of something really good. And I, I, I'm seeing changes. I'm, I'm seeing more pockets of weirdos popping up, you know, more people <laughs> saying, yeah, you know, I, I did something like that, but, but I did a little different. And I'm like, that's awesome. And, you know, I tell a lot of people that you could have a problem set in front of you and you could have 10 people at the table and we all come up with 10 different ideas. That's great. They're, none of them are wrong. It's just different. And I think as long as we take that mentality and move ourselves forward into what the future holds for the federal workspace, that's going to be a great thing. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm the perpetual optimist here, but I, I, I want to say the, that the work that I'm doing, the work that I'm doing with you is not going to be all for naught and that we're going to leave you know, almost like doing a doctoral thesis, you know, you, you, you leave a little bit of, of your own slice of information into the general pool. And I, I want to say that, that, that we're, you know, changing hearts and minds and we're preaching the good word of the non-FAR based actions that, you know, people have at their fingertips. So what would you encourage, you know, anyone listening to this, maybe that maybe you're, you're planting a seed. How would you encourage them? Like, what can they do? Like, what if they, they, you know, they don't have, you know, the caliber of people we had around us who were stretching their imaginations and their, you know, they're empowering, empowering them to face unknown territory and unstructured environments and things like that. Like what, what would you say to them? Um, so the first thing I would say is, is trust your own intuition. And because if you are ready to tackle something like this and in an environment that you just talked about, you know, maybe not having the support that we had from our leaderships um, and, you know, the people around us to trust yourself that if you really think that what it is that you have in front of you, whatever your problem set is in front of you, that you think that this is something that could be done better in a non-FAR based environment to trust yourself that you have made that business decision rightfully. And to under, also understand that what you're taking on is not only an action that you will see coming out of an agreement, but you are taking on the action to become one of the pockets of weirdos and you are ready to take on that culture change within, you know, maybe just within your, your branch and then maybe it expands to your command. But trust your gut. You know, if you know that this is the right thing to do and you've got the backup for it, then go for it. On top of that, obviously, just don't get frustrated. I, I, it's it's going to be a frustrating journey, but just know that there's something really great at the end of it. For resources, you know, go out there and, and go to conventions and conferences and go out there and get outside of our, you know, maybe work from home bubble or, you know, wherever it is that you're working and go out and start meeting other people that may be working in this non-FAR based realm. You know, increase your, your social media presence, maybe go into LinkedIn and search out, you know, hashtag OTA. What, what is LinkedIn talking about? What is Twitter talking about with OTA? So, you know, just make, you know, surround yourself with the people who can support you, you know, in your journey from going from, hey, I want to do something that's really weird to the point of you actually being able to do something really weird. Well said. 
And <clears throat> although this, you know, might have been maybe an unconventional talk, I do believe whether we're talking technology, AI, bleeding tech, or emerging tech, I'm sorry, bleeding edge, you know, all roads lead back to contracts. So I do believe like some of the things you were willing to share with us today are like just, you know, it's definitely part of the spear. There's a lot of people in our, our world that use the, the whole spear analogy that, you know, tech, certain, the things that we're talking about, innovation, stuff at the tip of the spear, but there's still parts of the spear behind it that have to work in order for the spear to do its job. And this is definitely one of those things. So thank you, Stephanie. Any parting words you'd like to share with the audience? Honestly, I would just tell anybody who's listening, and again, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't care if you're in the federal workspace, if you're outside an industry, or somehow you just randomly stumbled upon this, this podcast and are interested in what we're, we were talking about. Your best asset is yourself. If, if you understand what you want to do and you have a passion for it, then follow it. There's, there's a lot of us out there that can do, you know, kind of weird, wild things. And we're out there and we want to meet you. We want to be able to help you get to the point where you're like, yeah, I can do this on my own now. And so I would tell anybody who's, you know, maybe interested in, you know, just contracting in general, the federal workspace, how we get two points of award. Um, welcome. Just come on in. The, the water's great over here. <laughs> uh, and I've always uh, near and dear to my heart how that's one of the ways you you and uh, and Katie and others always made me feel welcome because I was one of the weirdos. So anyone else doesn't we welcome the weirdos? Thank you. We love the weirdos. I definitely like the idea too of trusting your own intuition, right? Because if you've been doing this for long enough, you got that experience and you know what's going to work and what's not. So resolving the issue with something and even going off your gut feeling is a really good way of putting it too. But seriously, thank you, Stephanie, for joining us today and sharing everything that you did. I definitely feel like I learned a lot from it. And Bonnie, thanks for kind of keeping us on track and getting information out for us as well. I'm hoping that we got to see all of you guys in the next episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today. And again, thank you both so much for joining us and Stephanie for taking the time to interview with us as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and share this podcast within your network. These actions move mountains for our mission of sharing artificial intelligence knowledge. Thanks again, and see you next week on our next episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today.